Salutations, everybody. As you know, this is Measure of an Episode. Our continuing mission is to explore what makes a Star Trek episode a good Star Trek episode and not just good TV. I'm Paul. I'm Pablo. Oh. See what I did there? Nice. Yeah. I heard what you did there. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. And according to our random episode generator this week, we will be talking about The Empath, the original original series 312, The Empath. Trapped in an alien laboratory, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. By the way, uh, they do not use the Oxford comma in the Netflix blurb, just so everybody knows. So it says Kirk, Spock, and McCoy? It says Kirk, Spock, and McCoy meet an empath and are involved in a series of experiments, Hmm. which is kind of not true. Right. I mean, it's true that they meet an empath. Uh, It's not really true that they're involved in a series of... I, I looked at this as just one giant experiment. Just as they didn't have the Oxford comma, those those are the sequence of events what that that happened. Say it again. Trapped in an alien laboratory, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy meet an empath and are involved in a series of experiments. Yeah, so they meet an empath, and they are involved in a series of experiments. Yeah, there should have been the comma. They're like they're shy two commas in this thing. Right. Okay, so it starts with a beam down, and they they go into a. Uh, what looks to be an abandoned research facility of some kind. Covered in dust. Yep. It was to establish that it was old. And right. Right. No one had been there in a long time. Right. And if you go into, which I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be one of those things where they had just talked to them, you know, 20 minutes ago. And now no one's, no one has been there in a long time. That's where I thought it was going. Oh, did not go there. No, it didn't. And Nimoy definitely has a cold, at least at the beginning of this episode. Oh, I didn't catch it this time. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. And so uh, very quickly, this strange sound starts engulfing them and uh, they see they seem to be uh, disabled by the uh, by, by the, the sound. Yeah. Yep. By the noise. Uh, and they wake up in a black room. Huge black room. They, yes. Huge black room, which is actually kind of cool. I like that it was sort of this void that they didn't really have any sense of where they were. They just kind of walked for a while and then they came upon. Uh, the unconscious woman. Yes, the unconscious ballerina. Right, right. So they they try talking to her. It becomes clear that she's a mute, right? As per the doctor, right? Yeah. And he, they describe what makes her unable to speak. Yeah. But they they kind of they only imply that she can't hear, but and don't give us any reason why she can't hear. They talk about her vocal cords for like twenty minutes, but they don't give us any reason in terms of her ears. And mute means you can't talk or hear, right? No, mute just means you can't speak. Then why do they say we, she can't hear us? I don't remember them saying that. I think that I think that they say she can't hear us. Anyway, right? Uh, not yeah. So it's funny. He walks. Kirk walks over to not Liza Minnelli and says, <laughs> "We're not going to hurt you." While he's pointing a gun at her, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he doesn't even realize that after he says that he's pointing a gun, he still keeps it pointed at her. Yes, <laughs> just in case. Yeah, right. Well, because I mean, as of as of that point. He, as far as he knows, she could be the one because um, Spock makes a couple allusions to he's like, well, you know, there are these these rock crystals on another planet that seem completely harmless until they attack you. Which, in retrospect, feels very Star Wars prequels to me, where you're just saying the name like you're putting a very earthly concept and you put a strange word in front of it. Right. And then the, all of a sudden it's it's science fiction because you said, oh, the rabbits of Gondark. They're, you know, 
like that kind of like that that kind of crap. All right. So along with the the rock crystals, they Bones said like she's mute like the colony on whatever other planet. Um, and right. so there there was something in his medical database that actually he could reference to based on her biological scan. Um, right. Which which for me personally, I thought it was a cool way of world building. Um, for Spock to reference these rock crystals and for Bones to rep- like to to reference the the mute colony. Um, and I, I get what you're saying about how, like, you, the moment you put, like, it, you know, it's these space rabbits. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make it. They don't, like, I, I understand. You understand what they're trying to say without needing to do that, right? And which they did. They were fine with it, right? We were, or I was fine with it. When when McCoy says um, it, that may be just normal for them, which I liked. I mean, I think that they were pointing out that just because <laughs> just because they look human doesn't mean that it's normal for them it's not normal for them to not have vocal cords yeah no i i definitely appreciated the fact that there was there there was the world building and there was you know like recognizing that there were aliens who could be alien in nature and that's just how they were like it wasn't like right. oh that's weird that she doesn't have vocal cords he's like no that could be totally normal on her in her in her society yeah i appreciated that yeah what i didn't appreciate uh <laughs> was <laughs> Who made the decision to name a character Jim when there's already a character in the show named Jim? I grant the confusion, but you know it wasn't Jim, right? His name is Jim yeah. Kirk. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the show before. <laughs> Wait, which show are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Talk about Breaking Bad, you pay, right? You pay me to be here, <laughs> I, and I'm here, okay? Speaking of paying, <laughs> <laughs> let's just get it out of the way right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody... We have a Patreon page. <laughs> you get access to the outtakes that we don't put in the podcast. You get access. As opposed to the ones we leave in all right. the time. <laughs> um, you get access to other side conversations that um, that are deep and thoughtful, but go way too off tangent. So we decide to cut out of the episode. And it's a great way for us to pay the bills or to help us pay the bills because making a podcast, uh, it's cheap. It's fairly cheap, but it's not free. Yep. Definitely not free. So, and it's fun, uh, it, but it is time consuming. Yes. Yeah. And we all have day jobs. This isn't paying the bills yet. Or, you know, the regular bills, not the podcast bills. We still pay the pod. We're paying all the bills right now. Both the podcast bills. I don't bills think they've got it yet, Paul. Do you want to explain a little bills. bit more? Something about bills, well, right? I, yeah. And not Bill Shatner. Actual, like, money bills. Who plays Jim Kirk, who is on Star Trek, which is what we were saying. She was named gem yeah i got it okay but when they start talking about jim right like jim is obviously hurting yes we don't know who's there who she who they're talking about right i got you with a single syllable going jim like it's really hard to say oh i'm sorry did you say gem or jim right i feel <laughs> sorry for spock right <laughs> jim is saving jim wait what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know and in in the the list of names they could have used hey like bone said it's better than hey you i suppose I mean, but it also kind of makes sense. Like if you're sitting there looking at Jim and you see this girl right next to him and you're talking about rock crystals, like Jim would, Jim would absolutely come to mind. (laughs) So it was an economy of thought. Right. Look, you were talking about rock crystals. His name's Jim. My mind went to Jim until we come (laughs) up with a better name other than, hey, you, her name's Jim. Oh, by the way, whenever that happens, until we come up with a better fill in the blank. The coming up with a better fill in the blank never happens. So if you're going to decide on something, make it count, right? No matter what you're doing, whether you're naming a car, a boat, or a person. Or a podcast. Make, 
Yeah, or a podcast. Make the first one count. Yeah. So as a side note, we we were discussing what to name this podcast, and we were like something like Measure of an Episode. And here you go. And there you go. And it just worked. Until something better comes along, we're going to call it Measure of an Episode. Guess what? (laughs) Nothing better came along. Right. And even if it does, we're not going to change it. We're stuck with it now. (laughs) Maybe in like 12 years time when we're wrapping up the podcast, something genius will come up. We'll be like, guys, it's no longer Measure of an Episode. (laughs) So they set her up as being an empath based on what the doctor intuits from her behavior. And his description of an empath so he he sort of he realizes this once she heals Kirk, right? He's got a thing on his head and then he she touches him in a, a 20 minute musical interlude. Right. And then and then <laughs> on close ups. Yeah. And he's healed and she's in McCoy's like, oh, she's an empath. And his definition of an empath has nothing to do with how she was able to heal him. Right. And I and I don't know if this was just the first time that the word empath had been used on TV in this sort of alien, supernatural, or science fictiony way. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, is this the the? I mean, there are empaths in the world, right? There are people who are very good at intuiting somebody's psychological or emotional state, right? Right. Right. It's not a superpower. It's just something that some people are good at. Yeah. Just- and so I wonder. Did they appropriate this for science fiction in this episode? Is this another first on Star Trek? I don't know. Um, well, I, you're supposed to be the trivia guy. You're supposed to. Ha- I was hoping you had that loaded up. You're supposed to be like, well, funny you should say that. Well, say that. funny you should say that. No, it's if too that late. is the case, it wasn't listed in the trivia anywhere I looked. <laughs> More trivia for everybody. All right. So, getting back to the truly outrageous gem. They, they, well, I guess they meet the aliens. Yeah, they meet the aliens first. They, yeah. They meet the aliens and they, they, they find a way out with Spock's help. Right. And, and then they get out and they start running toward, you know, back to the, wherever their ship. No, not to the ship, whatever. The, well, but the hang on. Let's talk the, about how they yeah. get out with Spock's help. So Spock uses the Vulcan death grip on the guy and he falls to the ground and they take his controller and they escape, and immediately after they're out of sight, the guy gets back up. I get the impression he was he was faking for the sake of the experiment. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so clearly this was an episode where the audience or the the writer knew the audience, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but they, it you know it was a it was a um a bait and switch. They expected that person to be down and them to escape, and the guy got up like as if it was all part of the plan. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was very interesting. I, and I like how they, they used the, the V pinch. It was, it was a clever way of using it rather than just having Spock sneak up on somebody. Right. I appreciated it. Um, yeah. And so that's obvious that be, it becomes obvious that that is part of the plan of the aliens plan. Uh, yeah. Although we don't know their plan yet. We think they're just sort of torturing them for no reason. Right. And so they make it outside uh, they see the aliens outside as they're running toward the mirage of Scotty of the landing party. And they have this kind of, I don't know, kind of trippy scene where they, I guess they slow Kirk down mm-hmm. with their little, their little ray gun thing. And, and Kirk is trying to like crawl at them in slow motion. Right. At first I thought it was uh, Billy Shatner just sort of walking slowly. Well, he did. Like, and then they actually slowed the film down. You can totally <laughs> see that he is slowing his rundown. And then when he starts to fall to the ground, they slowed it down even more. Um, yeah, I mean, the overacting there was just ridiculous. But that part helped me like realize that this episode was, despite moving slow, like it was a really good 
slow burn of peeling back the layers. Like, uh, at least for me, I didn't figure out what was happening until um, probably until after uh, McCoy got um, got abducted and started to be tortured. And even then, for I needed them to actually explain why they were doing it to to really know what was happening. Yeah, I I'm with you. I appreciated that it was. It, there was constant forward motion in of discovery in the in the episode. Yeah, um, it wasn't just sort of dwelling on each scene. Um, everything seemed to be in service of the plot. Right. So okay, so they're running toward the. Uh, they're they're all running outside toward the landing party because they they think that they're they're safe. Right. So it wouldn't be a Star Trek episode if it weren't without a little manhandling, right? Because every time she's on screen again, Kirk is grabbing her by the arms and like and like he's got her by the hands, got her by the arms, dragging her up a hill, dragging her down a hill. And she's for some reason having trouble running. I don't know why that they never they never talk about why she can't run or why she's why Kirk is having such a hard time getting her to the to the landing party. Right. Yeah. No, I was I was confused by that, too. I thought so. McCoy, as they're running to the landing party, he deliberately tripped over a rock. And so I was thinking that there was going to be a scene where he sprained his ankle and she took it upon herself so he could continue running um, and Kirk could carry her. But they didn't they never went that way. So I was very. Oh, do you think that's what happened, though? I mean, that's me speculating and that's me trying to justify those those two scenes. I wonder if it was in the script and it was taken out or if it was just weird direction on their part. Oh, that would be. I mean, I like that. That I mean, that would be nice. And they the, the fact that they don't talk about it afterward, that they just let that happen. But she's like doing this thing. Okay, let's talk about Jim for a second. I can't not talk about it anymore. Okay, we're going to call her not Liza Minnelli. That's much shorter. She clearly, clearly they hired a dancer for this role. Yes. Um, And so I wonder is obviously they told her to do that on purpose, right? Which part? That's just not when she the the way that she moves. Oh, yeah. The whole show. Like the, I mean, yep. she moves like it's an interpretive dance. Right. The whole the deliberation. Whole right. Yeah. And even the way that she kind of acts when she's just seated, she kind of does this thing where everything is is over-exaggerated like she's on stage. Right. It's very dance expressions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it would be funny if that's just the way that she is. She never, <laughs> turns the, she never turns that off. <laughs> I thought it was a little heavy-handed, but I, what I liked about it was they never talk about it. Like then Spock is never like, she seems to be having some, she seems to be trying to communicate with her movements and not her voice. Right. She, they never say that. Right. And I like that. I like, they don't go there. No, I agree. Um, and it was, it was neat to have someone who wasn't trying to speak to them either. Like, um, you know, she wasn't trying to, she wasn't trying to like, because they weren't understanding her because she couldn't talk to them. She wasn't then trying to explain what she wanted or what she needed with gestures. Like she just, it it was as though as a mute and as a mute from a planet, she didn't understand what they were doing and had no idea of how to communicate to them either. But they some they understand each other at a certain point in a roundabout I mean, way. We, yeah, like there was. I mean, we we kind of get that she doesn't really understand them. She doesn't understand the humans, and, right. or rather, the Federation people. Right. Doesn't understand the um, aliens. Doesn't understand the aliens. Um. So it's weird to me because the the aliens are like, we only need one of you. The rest of you are free to go. Um. When they're not free to go, they just brought them back down into the holding cell. (laughs) And so they're not free to go. They bring them back down into the thing, which is obviously all part of the experiment. You know, this is all this is all a manipulation to get a result. Mm -hmm. And they bring so so Kirk goes with them and somehow manages to get his shirt off. 
and they start <laughs> for some reason. I mean, it's, it's not like they're whipping him. I mean, the, he, so he's suspended in the air, much of how I pictured you when you suspend yourself in the air to do the podcast. Right. So they start torturing him. And I wonder, is this another yet another Star Trek first of on screen torture? Because they're obviously torturing him. Granted, this isn't the show 24. Right. There's torture in every single episode. But is the, is it tor- like this is the first time we've seen torture on television? Um, Being season three, I'm going to say not because, I mean, you know, there's the interracial kiss that happened in one of the earlier seasons. Um, and to do so, they were being mentally tortured and forced to do things against their will. Kind of takes the, the wind out of the sails of the interracial kiss. Right? Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like when I when I when I was hearing about it on a documentary about the first interracial kiss, I was like, oh, cool. And then I saw it in an episode and I was like, so you're telling me that the just the fact that they were forced to kiss like they it wasn't a passionate kiss between two races. It was literally two aliens controlling these people, smashing their faces together. <laughs> and that's the thing that people got upset about. Like, I would almost think that the racists would be would use that as as evidence that you would only kiss someone from an opposing race if you were forced to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Under duress. Right. But then there's also the episode. Well, OK, so based on actual like torture, torture, I I don't know for sure. But um, well, I just I don't even mean in Star Trek. I mean, in in the world i would be i would be completely shocked i wouldn't be impressed i would be shocked if this was the first time the torture was shown on tv now having said that i will say that the empath was not shown in the uk until the 90s for that reason yeah so they torture kirk and then they send him back he seems like he's been through a lot although it's unclear right right and then there's 20 more minutes of uh, another 20 minute interlude of interpretive dance with jim (laughs) Jim and Jim have another interpretive dance and it's, it's sort of brought out that he has the bends. The doctor says, Oh, you have, you have the bends, which never comes back. Cause they, I, I guess they, they, that was just, they were torturing him. That's how they chose to torture him was to make him scuba dive and then take a flight somewhere that never comes back. Right. They never explain why they chose to do it that way. No. So the, the only thing that I was able to infer from that was because um, they said that he was going to be tortured and they were, the the other two people couldn't handle what they presented to themselves. Um, you know, they said something like, "It's we're testing your courage, and it's whatever you find like the worst thing to be." Um, and so my my interpretation was that his torture was something that caused him to have the bends, and he he survived it, but barely. Oh, I see. Although that does uh, prompt uh, the second time in an episode in our in our nine episodes so far. That someone on screen has said decompression chamber. Right. I don't know if you noticed that. Yep. I, I heard it. And I was like, oh, it seems to be a running theme in Star Trek. I mean, they're dealing with space. <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, space is in itself a decompression chamber. Yeah. Well, like, and because Kirk was talking about that. What did he say? Um, the Bone said, Boners, Bones or Spock said something about how, like, man wasn't supposed to do something. And Kirk said, oh, but we're supposed to travel through space. Yeah. It was a good retort. I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, the writing on this episode was really good. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it clipped along for me. I mean, not, I mean, it was a slow episode of television, but in terms of all the, you know, all the flips and turns that it was doing, it was cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was a 60s show episode. It was a 60s TV series. So it, was, it is going to move slower, but it continued to move. 
Whereas right. the the previous episode, the day of the dove, like it it presented the situation, we figured it out, and then they were just spinning its wheels and kind of hitting us over the head with it over and over until the end. They were like, "Oh no, let's be friends." Yeah, and right. and this one I really like because it it kept the mystery through the entire episode, and it only gave us like just enough to feel like we were getting more information. But I know that like if it gave us any more, we would have been able to figure it out. And I appreciated the mystery. I, I think the mystery. Need it, it needed to be revealed as slowly as it had been. Absolutely, no, I agree. Yeah. So they they go through this thing where they the the aliens tell the group that you're going to have to decide who gets killed. We're going to kill we're going to kill one of you, um, and Kirk gets to decide. And then the doctor knocks out Kirk because he's going to uh, make a bad decision or because he's in pain. Well, he he gives the um the excuse that. It was because he's under mental duress and he's just been through physical duress. So he needs to take, he needs to rest so his body can recover. We deduce after his actions with Spock that it was to, because Kirk had to make the choice, Bones eliminated him making the choice. And then Spock was like, oh, thank you so much, you know, for, for doing that. Now I get to make the choice and I'm the one who's do, who's dying. And Bones was like, no, you're not. Yeah. And so we're... The aliens then, by default, take the doctor and keep his shirt on to torture him. Yeah. His shirt remains on. <laughs> well, I think they're both contractually obligated. Kirk says, in every episode, my shirt comes off. And Bone says, no matter what, my shirt stays on. If we're swimming, I'm swimming in a unitard. Or showering. It'd be great if he was showering or taking a bath with his leotard on. I don't know if there's another interpretive dance interlude before. Not before Bones. Uh, not before McCoy. Right. No. Yeah. Okay, so so McCoy gets tortured. Uh, how they're torturing him, it's not clear, but it's clear they're doing it without touching him, except when he comes back to the holding cell, his shirt is tattered, mm -hmm. but his skin is fine underneath. And so I just think that they just took scissors to it just to be, for some Jerk. reason. <laughs> I think maybe because McCoy had said that was his favorite shirt, <laughs> that was part of the torture. I was wondering why they put that in the script. <laughs> seemed so so out of place when he first said it um it did. no i think it was kind of the same thing like just how uh kirk had this uh, this is probably like where the like where the idea solidified for me where kirk had the bends because of whatever he was having afflicted to him mccoy same thing they didn't touch him but he you know some kind of direct stimulus on him that tore his shirt and gave him i mean what looked like radiation burns he was blistered and all kind of scarred and charred on on the face um, right. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like how Spock looked in in the second one. But yeah, so that's the the fact that Kirk had the bends, and then McCoy, even though we never saw any physical contact, looked like so beat up when when they were when when he was finally let down. That's what made me think that it's they you come up with your own torture, and you are you you physically are affected by it, even though nothing's actually touching you. There's a point where Billy Shatner uh, says the word offense. But he doesn't say offense. He says offense. Yep. Yeah, because clearly he's never heard that word spoken before. Uh, he just he just read it in the script and just said offense. Well, I see. I will say it that way. Because he also said offended. Is he Canadian? Oh, I don't know. Is that a thing the Canadians say? I'll have to check I that out. I, <laughs> I mean, it makes the most sense, right? Yeah. So I did actually notice at the beginning of the episode that they don't have rank pins on their lapels. Correct. And so I was like, oh, they must have just come out, come out with that in next gen. But then later in the episode, I realized that their rank 
is indicated on their by frills on their sleeves. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. First time. That must be the first time they're doing this because it's the first time that I saw it. <laughs> I did not know that was a thing either until Discovery. Um, and they they did not realize it when they were filming. And they actually had to go back in and put in the rankings on the sleeves digitally after the first episode, after the first season, I think. Um, oh, God. Yeah. What a waste of money. Right? What a waste of money. I mean, this is people don't learn lessons from like, for, for example, the reason the Marvel movies do well is because they have Marvel nerds writing the scripts and making the movies. Right. Yes. You don't hire people who have never heard of Star Trek to make a Star Trek show. Well, and if you do, you bring in the nerds to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They got their phasers like magically taken away from them. Um, right. But they got to keep the tricorder, which allowed them to assess all the medical issues, which we kind of learned why. Um, and they got to keep the controller that they took away. And I was like, if they're able to just magically teleport away the, or scientifically teleport their, their phasers away, like how, how come they left them with the controller? And then they talked right. about that. Well, and they're obviously listening to everything that they say, even when the aliens aren't in the room. So right. when they're sort of scheming to, to when they're trying to figure out the little, you know, whatever device they, they stole from the aliens. I mean, surprising they didn't think of that. Like they're probably watching us right now. Right. right. We should not talk about it openly. But then it turned out that it didn't matter because they were supposed to keep it. And it was, it was just a really good example of, all of the the things that were brought up in the script were addressed at some point, either directly or indirectly. Um, and that goes back to the rankings being on the sleeves because it's important to have a fan around when you're writing an episode um, or have a fan write an episode, which is what happened in this instance. Um, this a, was a fan. A fan wrote an episode. Yeah. Or wrote this episode. Wrote this episode. Yeah. It was a fan submitted wow. script and they liked it enough to actually commission it. Oh, interesting. I would love to read what was actually submitted versus what they changed. Right. You know, like what did, did they change anything uh, or did they have to sort of make it, you know, make it on brand? Mm -hmm. But the I think one of the reasons why the episode worked so well, you know, there was there was light banter. Um, there was good dialogue is because. First off, it was written by a fan. Um, and so, you know, they, they kind of knew the characters well enough and it wasn't just a writing room trying to put out a script. So they had more time to be with the script. So it allowed them to kind of pass it around to people who were also fans and say, well, you know, what if you did this? I don't know if that was, that's what happened, but it gave her right. the opportunity to do so to make sure that the script was as polished as it could be. Well, and it also, you know, fan stuff aside, um, I, it could have been also that, when you work on a fan script, that's all you don't, you're not answering to anybody and you have as much time as you need to work on it. And so when you have that much time to flush it out, it's going to be better versus when you're in a writer's room and you have deadlines, you don't have as much time to, to really develop something and to think about it. And so that, I mean, I know that they were doing that with next gen too, that they would consider outside scripts, which is totally alien in, in today's world right. of television. Yeah. They, I mean, there's no way that anybody, I mean, it's interesting because the, the writers and the directors and the actors are all super present on social media and you can actually interact with them one-on-one uh, -on -one through those, those platforms. But there is a huge wall in terms of what they'll consider for uh, submissions. I mean, even if you, if you submit something to them, they say, anything you submit, we own immediately. So if you if you if you email them like just to their general email saying, 
I got this great idea for a Star Trek episode. What if Spock and McCoy do this and do this? They immediately own it because they don't want, yeah, they don't want somebody coming back if they accidentally use it, even if they don't use it and they accidentally do the same concept in their own script. They don't want somebody coming back and saying, oh, well, you obviously ripped that off and I'm not compensated for it. So they they do this blanket catch all where they say anything you submit, just just know you're welcome to submit it. But we own it immediately and you don't get anything for it. Interesting. I I mean, I guess with the advent of email, that makes sense because I what I remember and maybe this was just, you know, the rumor mill, but um, they never opened any delivered mail. especially if it was a a script because they didn't want to they didn't they didn't want to have the the opportunity for a lawsuit if the idea came up separately from yeah. somebody else. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. But it, I mean it's kind of the exact opposite. Like instead of saying we don't open anything, it's hey, just so you know, if you send this, it's now ours. Yeah. <laughs> so, I do wonder is it in the original script that was submitted or was it a writer on the show who gave Spock a little bit of sarcasm at the end of the show? Oh, I know. And yeah. going back, I mean, Leonard Nimoy, without changing his expression, completely changed his expression from bemusement to annoyance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's not in character for him to have sarcasm because I don't know the show well enough at this point, but it seems out of character for him to have that. Oh, no. I mean, he, he does have that dry condescension quite a bit. Um, and I mean, that's that's part of what makes Spock Spock. But um, th- that was such a good moment with all those three characters because it was written by a fan. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's probably I don't know if I'm willing to concede that the reason it's such a good episode is because it was written by a fan. I mean, it, someone could have written in with a, a really good, solid concept which was then reworked into something that was as good as what we saw. Right. That, Mm. that explanation is also plausible. Right. Because they weren't slouches at the writer's room. Yeah. No, that's true. That's fair. So it could have been that, but I mean, it it does make more sense that uh, a a pretty heady, well-developed idea like this would be because of a fan having all the time in the world to develop it. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, I think I think you're right that like the the writers in the the the, the writer room polished the script, um, but but yeah, like having having all the time in the world to finesse a script is going to make it better than having three weeks to crank the next one out. Right. Um, one, so yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say one of the one of the things that I really liked was the uh, the hanging the, the them hanging from the chains. Uh-huh. Um, I was just really impressed by that effect i was like like how I, I had no idea how they did that by having them you know in chains but still floating there without having the weight of the body pulling on the chains you know i was right yeah I that was, was interesting just, yeah yeah i, I never just, that didn't even occur to me yeah yeah i was really impressed by that effect i wonder if because there's only we only ever see them a close-up from in front of them mm-hmm or directly behind them without seeing them. So I, they must have been wearing a harness or something like that around their their midsection. Right. And then and then so, they, you know, they never pan around them. So we never get to see how they're being suspended. So that's probably how they do it, because I don't think we ever see him actually hanging from the front. I think it's always a close up. No, we didn't. Yeah. And what was funny, too, was uh, uh, Bones got it like he he was um, he was hung cross style like the the hanging cross um 
and as was Kirk. And when it went to the front, Bones had his hands stretched out that way and Kirk had his hands hanging in front of him. Like he was right. like his his uh, his wrists were shackled. And I was, you know, the, I was like, the close ups don't don't match what you're doing, sir. <laughs> well, again, screens were 12 inches at their biggest. Right. And know? he wanted to make sure that everybody saw his biceps. I get it. Right. <laughs> um, the the TV trope that was in this that that always bothers me um, is when people don't, exp- you know, they're like, you'll get your answers in time. Um or, you know, like, like in Lost, when we were talking about the, the door, like, uh, Jack wanting to get out of the door and yeah. Li- Ben, right? Linus. Yeah. Being, you know, he's like, open the door. He's like, if I do that, we will all die. Like, why not just say <laughs> we're 30 feet underwater yeah. and we will drown. Like, go yeah. over and look in the window and you will see fish flying around. Like, but it was, it was gripping because that, I mean, that's that. It's kind of proof that the mystery is is greater is always greater than what the what the answer is. But that doesn't mean you don't have to like you have to know the the answer. Right. Right. You have to know it. Right. Well, but you can't <laughs> not know it. But ignoring the frustration of Lost, <laughs> I was thinking about like why didn't the the aliens explain what they were doing? Um, and it kind of makes sense at the end. Like they didn't want to skew the experiment. They wanted to make sure that she, like they were as blind as she was because otherwise that she could have picked up on them, like feeling comfortable with knowing what was happening or, you know, something like that. Um, but the other thing too, was if they really did feel like they were as like that superior over humanity, then I was thinking like scientists don't usually explain what they're doing, what's happening to the rats, you know? And right. so it makes a little bit more sense. Like, it's like, I don't need to explain this to you because you have, you can't comprehend what we're doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the rats started speaking English though, right. And, and asked, <laughs> would we tell them that that is the question? Or would we just scream and grab a book to smash them? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You smash rats with books. If the book is big enough. I mean, I, you know, I don't, well, first off, I don't smash rats. <laughs> I do not have a rat problem. You were very handy with that solution to a rat problem. I'm just curious. I just, I feel like, I feel like I've seen that before. Like not, not a talking rat and then smashed with a book, but like taking, taking the, <laughs> should be such a waste, the largest, heaviest object, which I'm thinking, you know, like a, a encyclopedia in Braille. Um. <laughs> yeah. We're just the A's is 20 volumes long. Right. <laughs> um. So would you count that random side scene to Scotty and Sulu as the B plot. I think that that plot or that scene was only there to show that they were not doing anything to rescue them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's all it was. I mean, I, I don't, I, again, I don't think this has, I don't think the TOS so far has a B plot. Right. I don't think that they're built in yet. I mean, I mean, I guess maybe the B plot in, in all of these episodes is the subtext. The problem is that our criteria requires there to be a B plot. Right. And uh, I would, I, I don't know if I would, con- this, I would consider this a good television episode. I would not consider this a good Star Trek episode um, because I mean, what bit of science fiction do they use to, to solve any problems? Well, they kind of are. Um, I mean, they're, they're isolated, which obviously any, any, that could happen anywhere, but um, they're, they're trying to teach another um, to have, um, self, what was it? Self-sacrifice over self-preservation. And it was being taught through emotions and through observation, 
not through direct instruction or torture. It was being it was being taught by example, or at least being they were exposing her by example. But I, I don't I mean that that could easily be something that could happen without technology. There was nothing about any of the beings in this episode that required them to be aliens, really. I could easily see the two the like the two aliens being just Bond villains, right? Who had no emotional expression uh and they were just sort of villainous. Uh, and the the lady could easily have been just a regular human. What overlapping theme or or underlying science fiction theme was there in this episode? Other than then, like they were aliens, and but did they have to be aliens for this to happen? See, I I feel like yeah. So one of the things that I I consider is could this could this episode be shown on a different TV series? And I don't feel like it could have been. This could definitely have been sort of a bottle episode of Lost, where two of the survivors get kidnapped. And experimented on and we never hear from them again and we never hear about it again because that was how they wrote Lost. (laughs) But 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 it could have easily been just two of the others experimenting on the survivors without changing even very much of the dialogue or or rather the the concept because the dialogue is a little heavy handed. Right. But but I feel like what they are trying to teach, I don't I don't feel like could be on another show. Like the premise in general, yes, like uh, kidnapping people and and having psychological experiments to to try to get them to understand something um, that's that's been on different shows before. But to specifically understand self-sacrifice over self-preservation, because they could bring them back to life if it if it didn't work. But they never said that they would. I guess they I guess they do bring them back to life at the end of the episode. They bring they bring McCoy back to life or rather they heal him. Mm-hmm. And do they heal not Liza Minnelli? I can't remember. Does she get no, she heals herself. Yeah. No, she does she die? I can't remember. <laughs> I think she dies. Does she? Because she because she sacrifices herself. Is that is that did we just miss the entire point of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. And I just watched it an hour ago. Yeah, I don't I, don't, I think she dies. Well, because they, they talk about how like they, they've lost all sense of emotion, and that's where the joke comes in at the end with Spock. Um they've lost all compassion and that right. that's when they consider it and they're like, oh my gosh, maybe they're right. And that's why they bring bones back to life. But I can't remember if they bring NLM back to life. Well, they all die anyway, because I mean, it was very fuzzy for me what, what the relationship was with her race, with Liza Minnelli's race and the aliens race, because they said we can only save one planet or one person or one race one planet, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and we're judging whether or not she's, her race is worthy right. of being saved. And I got the impression that that their the aliens race was already dead or had already succumbed to something or had already had resolved themselves to dying. I, right. That's very right. unclear yeah. to me. Yeah. That's what I got too, was that they had already resolved themselves to the fact that they were going to die in this supernova and they were trying to consider which which alien race was going to be the ones to save. And I mean this is this is me completely projecting, but it sounded like they had a race that they did that they could save but it just wasn't as good as this one if they could just learn self-sacrifice. Yeah, I, I felt like if they developed that aspect more, it would have been more science fiction-y because it, 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 it required there to be some kind of weird relationship between two races. And I don't know, but I don't know what that was. It was just they had chosen this particular person who was being made to volunteer 
to speak for their entire race in terms of if they are willing to self-sacrifice. And I don't, I don't, I just, it's very fuzzy. And I, I think it's that maybe on purpose because they didn't have time or whatever, but that to me, that sounds more like a science fiction element. It's just not fleshed out enough. This felt very psychological and it felt very diving deep into the human psyche. And obviously human, the, the human emotion prevails and uh, intellect does not. They don't, they don't, they don't reason their way out of something. They don't, they don't even techno babble their way out of something. They just use pure emotion to, right. to win. So in a way that, that, that kind of disqualifies it from that particular criteria for me. Yeah. I mean, these are not invalid points. And so my, what I, what my struggle is like, I really like this episode, um, the, the way it's handled and the, the characters and, and the resolution and all that sort of thing. And so is my liking of the episode coloring my judgment and trying to wanting wanting to amend our criteria so that this episode fits because I liked it or was this really just good TV and it was not a good Star Trek episode I mean cuz as of right now we're sitting at what 6 of 8 of our episodes are not Star Trek based on our criteria yeah. yeah so I mean did they is it just that we don't have the right criteria or is it that because we're randomizing it we just happen to be hitting so many episodes that aren't and we're going to get a whole rush of episodes that are i think it's the latter on both counts i think that it is a really good episode of television just doesn't have to be star trek and um i think that because i don't think we've had any season one episodes of any of the of the shows so it could be that a lot of the season one is more heavy on the sci-fi because it is star trek and science fiction and so later into the series, they start to get a little bit more comfortable and can explore different aspects using the characters, but without there needing to be some kind of science fiction aspect. Right. But in this particular, I mean, this is season three again. It's not that we were wrong about our criteria. It's that they are intentionally stepping out of what we would consider a good Star Trek episode just to do some exploration. Okay. So then with that being said, do we want to amend anything to like kind of factor in ds9 where they're playing in the sandbox and they're still following certain rules to make it star trek other than you know i'm playing with these characters that makes it star trek um or i still think it's too early you still think it's too early okay i'm fine I with still that i think it's too early all right well let's see what we're watching next oh god what can this possibly be <laughs> deep space nine episode 310 fascination <laughs> not only we're doing like Every other episode is a Deep Space Nine. It's all season three, right? It's all done with a random a random number generator, right? So I mean, do you want to just do you want to no? Just, no, we right. can't do that. Okay, okay. we can't do that. Okay. that. The fans would be just so disappointed. If they didn't. <laughs> the Bajoran Gratitude Festival. Oh. Right. I'm in. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the rest. If we got a Bajoran Gratitude Festival, right? Sign me up. I'm excited to see it. Already, an annual ready. celebration is about to get underway, and both Kira and O'Brien await the arrival of their loves. Oh, fuck! Oh, don't say like, oh, I remember this one. It sounds good. So it's it's Kiko, Kaiko. No, it's Kaiko roofing. It's Kiko. I'm pretty sure. Um, and I was I was. Thinking it was Shakar, but I think this is before before the episode we last watched. So it's got to be Burrell. So I think this is a, a none pre- of those names mean <laughs> mean absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> so Shakar was the guy that she 
went to go see. That was the last episode we saw. The episode uh-huh. that, that it was named after him. Um, and Burrell was the person that she was praying to. So if it is Burrell, spoiler alert, he dies at the end. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I've I've always said whenever I watch Star Trek that there aren't enough gratitude festivals. Right. <laughs> I know. I mean, seriously, one planet once a year. What the heck? I mean, obviously, you have to have one of these. I'm sure we're going to get one of these once a season, and there are seven of them. So, well, and actually, I don't remember which episode it was, but in the original series, there was uh, one of the episodes we just watched. Uh, there was a deleted bit of dialogue where they were supposed to be celebrating Peace Day, which was the day that all of the the countries um, stopped warring and working on the larger project of actually exploring the universe out there. So. So there was supposed to be some kind of gratitude celebration that got ignored because that's how they're supposed to be. Well, damn it. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it's like you said, you know, there's not enough. I'm glad we're front loading all of the good episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to make the the backside. It's just going to make the backside, you know, so much harder to watch. (laughs) I know. So far, we've probably turned thousands, if not millions of people off of Star Trek just based on our selection. Right. Well, I mean, I hope not. Because this is 10 out of over 700. Like, that's <laughs> less than 1% of the show. This We could literally be getting all the bad episodes out of the way. And the rest of the 12 years, we're like, yeah, good Star Trek, good TV. Right. So I guess my plea to the listeners, please don't give up. It's going to get better. I Keep promise. listening. Keep reviewing. Keep listening. Keep, Keep reviewing. Submitting to Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> Just give us a chance. Give Star Trek a chance, even though it really doesn't want you to. It's, in fact, begging you not to. But we are begging you to please give it a chance. And with that... Let's go watch it. Let's go watch it.